0: Romans 1, verses 15, 16, and 17. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So last week, uh, we started a new teaching series that we're calling DNA. Uh, DNA is sort of like our, our, our basic building blocks for, for what it means to be a Jesus-centered church. We're walking through some of our core family traits that we have as a church family. And, and this morning, we're going to unpack one of our most really foundational distinctives that we have as a church family. One of our foundational dis- distinctives, and it, it's simply just... The gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And now when I say that this is one of our most foundational distinctives, what I mean by that is that we we believe that the scriptures is calling us to be a a gospel-centered church a church that is centered on the good news of Jesus. Now, if you've been with us since the beginning, you've probably heard me kind of like strike this chord again and again, right? If you've been part of our original launch team with the few families that we started with, you know that we trained on, on what is the gospel, what does it mean to be centered on the gospel. Uh, and and uh, we're really just kind of kind of drilling down into this because it's really that important. It is that important. And so if you've, if you've heard maybe this a message like this before, uh, either at this church or a church like ours, uh, on, on what is the gospel and what does it mean to be centered on the gospel, my encouragement to you would be, uh, man, would you just pray that the Spirit of God would uh, make this sort of like a refresher for you? Would, the, would you pray this morning that, that the Spirit of God would almost give you new eyes? Uh, maybe fresh ears uh, to hear and to see uh, something more beautiful about the gospel of Jesus, uh, so that when you walk away from here, that is, this isn't just like a familiar chord that you that you heard played, but but that it's. Uh, but that strikes you in a, in a fresh and in, in new way. And so we're going to talk about what it means to be a church that's centered on the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for sinners like you and me. So we're going to jump around the Bible a bit today, uh, mostly in the book of Romans, but I want us to start by reading a small passage in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation, as many of you know, is the last book of the Bible, Uh, and in it, uh, in the first sort of few chapters of Revelation, Jesus is writing letters to churches, and he leaves a warning to a number of different churches, and in particular, when he's writing to this church in Ephesus, he leaves them a warning that they've gotten off mission. That they've drifted from the gospel of grace, from the gospel of first importance, and they got captivated by issues of secondary importance. So read it with me. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Now, this is Jesus' words. He's speaking, addressing this particular church, and he has some cool things to say with them about them at first. He says, church, I know your works. I know your toil and your patient endurance. That's good, right? And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, he says, and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. A lot of encouraging words there. But then he says this in verse 4. He says, but I do have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first, man, those are daunting words for a church to receive from Jesus. And my my, my prayer, as we're walking through and unpacking what it means to be gospel centered, is that for us as our church, King's Cross, that this that Jesus would never say these kinds of words to us. That we would never abandon the love that we had at first. That we would never stray from our centeredness on the gospel. You see, this church that Jesus is addressing, they, they believed all the right things, right? It says that, you know, he's applauding them for testing the teachings of these, these guys that are calling them apostles. Uh, he, he applauds them for, for uh, sort of weeding out false doctrines. This is a church that, that believed all the right things. They, they, they said all the right things. They did all the right things, it seems like, but they'd forgotten really the main thing. They'd forgotten the main thing. They'd forgotten the gospel. Jesus is saying, look, there's in each of us as followers of Jesus, and there's in all of us as churches of Jesus, there's, there's a type of drifting that can take place if we're not mindful There's a type of drifting from the main point that can take place if we're not careful. And you see, we need to be mindful of that. We need to be careful about that. Like nobody drifts on purpose. That's why it's called drifting, right? And see, there's a tendency to make your Christianity all about what you do for Jesus rather than what he's done for you. That needs to be our starting point, what he's done for us, It's not that we don't do things for Jesus. It's not that we don't do things to bring him glory. It's just that ultimately that needs to flow out of what he's first done for us. And if we're not centered on that, if that's not our our point number one in all that we do, then we've kind of missed the mark. Jesus is saying in his letter to that church, he's saying that there's a problem in churches when that happens, when your attention starts to move on from the gospel. Like it's that important. That he has to call them out on it. So now I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. By the way, the book of Romans uh, is kind of like a, uh, uh, just this Paul, the Apostle Paul's like just massive exposition on the beauties of the gospel. The entire book of Romans is a teasing out of the gospel message in all of its beautiful different facets and all of its implications for our lives. Like The first 11 chapters, Paul just goes on and on about how beautiful the gospel is. And then in the last few chapters, he talks about like, now here's what that means for us as God's people. So a little pro tip you can go home with from that is that like sometime this week, maybe after this, the, the sermon, like sometime this week, grab a cup of coffee or maybe a glass of wine and sit down and with the book of Romans and you can just read it from beginning to end and just marvel at who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means for you and for me. But this morning, you're going to get the Cliff Notes version of that. So let's, we're going to look at three points. Three points this morning. First, the essence of the gospel. Secondly, we're going to unpack the story of the gospel. And lastly, we're going to talk about what does it mean to have the gospel as our center. So first, what is the essence of the gospel? Then what is the story of the gospel? And lastly, what does it mean to be centered on the gospel? So first, the essence of the gospel. Read Romans 1.15 with me. The Apostle Paul is writing, and he says to this church in Rome, he says... I am eager to preach the gospel to you. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Now, here's what I want you to see in this verse. The gospel is something that can and should be preached. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is words The gospel is not something that we do. It's not a posture that we have. The gospel is primarily a message. It's good news. It's something, according to Paul here, that can be preached. Now, that word gospel actually shows up 100 times in in the Bible, uh, about 100 times, and it's the Greek word euangelion. That Greek word euangelion, it literally means good news, and so really, that's the essence of the gospel. It's good news. And what do you do with good news? You spread it. Exactly. You spread it. You, you share it. You declare it. You proclaim it. You go tell it on the mountain. You celebrate it. And Paul says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Now that's really the full sense of that Greek word there is that gospel is not just good news, but it's good news that's meant to be sort of heralded. Good news that's meant to be shouted and proclaimed. You see, back in Jesus' day, you had these, these heralds who, whose primary job was to ride into like the center of town in the town square on like his camel or his horse. And when people saw this herald, they would gather into the center of the square. And then as soon as everybody gathered, the herald would shout out like whatever news the people needed to hear. He would herald the news, some life-changing news that everyone needed to hear. You see, they didn't have news channels back then. They didn't have social media or Twitter or iPhones. Like they had heralds, whose sole job was to ride in the town and shout the news that people needed to hear. I think I've mentioned this a couple times before, but a a little. like, a, a little before I became a Christian in college, I was, I was an editor for a school magazine, and we used to have these discussions in, in class about the difference between hard news and, and soft news. But hard news is, like, news that is, it, it has to do with, like, an important, historic event, something that actually happened, and something that happened that everybody needs to know because it holds real weight on our lives, it's the kind of news that affects us all. So news like like our country's going to war, or we have a new president, or like the zombie apocalypse is coming, right? Like all of that would be hard news. Soft news is like... Opinion pieces, or like gossip columns, or news that doesn't really bear real weight on all our lives. Like when I logged on to Twitter this week, and like everyone was talking about how their favorite shows are back on, right? Like The Good Place was airing on Thursday night. Brooklyn Nine Nine was back. The Bachelor, the new season, is here. Now some of that's like of interest to me, right? Like I, I I'm, i I'm a fan of The Good Place right now. Like I'll own that, right? But that's not hard news, right? That's soft news because it's not it's not the kind of news that everyone needs to know because it has real historic consequence. It doesn't bear real really real, like real meaningful weight on my existence in like in like a profound way. But in the 1st century when this book of Romans was written, the only kind of news that was spread by a herald. The only kind of news that was considered Gellion had to be hard news. It had to be real historic event that left a meaningful impact on everyone. Those were the only things called euangelion, the only things called gospel. And in the first century, the best word that the early Christians could think of for this new thing that happened in the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the best thing that they could think to call it was euangelion, the gospel. The gospel. This was news to be delighted in and news to be declared. Which, by the way, is what separates Christianity from every other worldview and every other religion. Because other world religions, they'll give you like a list of things to do in order to make it to God, in order to make it to heaven. Other worldviews will give you like opinions or advice on how to live a better life. Christianity offers good news, hard good news. Good news that you're invited just to believe in because Jesus has already done it for you. So that's the essence of the gospel. It's news to be declared. Secondly, we're going to look at the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel. Now, if the gospel is the good news of something in history that has happened something real that has cosmic implications then then what is that thing that happened what is that story what is that narrative that is true i want you to sh- i want to show you something at the beginning of romans chapter 1 first couple of verses of romans chapter 1 it says this paul he's introducing himself he says paul a servant of christ jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of god now listen what he says about the gospel of god which he, God, promised beforehand. Where? Through his prophets in the holy scriptures. Now, what does that tell you? What does that tell you? It tells us that the point of the scriptures, the point of this whole book, the whole point of the Bible, the whole point of God's story is the good news of Jesus. The gospel of God, he calls it in Verse 1. You see, the Bible is not primarily about you. It's not primarily about you. The Bible's for you, but it's not primarily about you. It's primarily about, about who? Jesus. The Bible is not a collection of unrelated books and letters either. It's not about Adam and Eve in one place and Moses and Pharaoh in another. It's not about David and Goliath in one place and Paul and the apostles in another. The whole thing, every page, every chapter and every book is part of a single story. One story, the story of the God who is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. That is the big idea of this book. It's the gospel of God. That is the big idea. That's the big E on the I chart that if we miss it, then we're still spiritually blind. So let's walk through the gospel story now that's laid in the scriptures. Now, this, again, will be a refresher for some of you, but if we were to split the entire Bible story if we were to split the entire gospel story up into four chapters, and they would have the following headings creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So let's, let's walk through each one and, and, and see how God's story of grace unfolds. Number one, creation, which is the story of the world that we were made for. In Romans 1, later on in verse 20, Paul talks about how creation itself reveals that there's a creator. It says in Romans 1.20, for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, all of us, every single one of us, it doesn't matter your religion or worldview or faith system, every single one of us, deep in our hearts, has some sense that all of this that exists around us in the world around us is not an accident. All of us, on some deep level, has some sense that this is not an accident. That there is a God who made it all, and a God who holds it together. I mean, you just sort of like look at the at the complexities of your fingerprints, right? The details of the human eye. The stretch of the sky up above, the depths of the ocean down below, the pull of gravity, the turning of time, all of it screams, this is not an accident. There's a maker who made this. And when he made it, when he made creation, he called it what? He called it good. In the beginning, the world existed in a good state, in perfect peace and stability and harmony and wholeness. And out of his mercy, out of God's mercy, he he made us in his image. He made us male and female, creatures in his image and likeness, just to enjoy his good creation, to join one another, enjoy our relationship with God, and enjoy creation. What do we do with that gift? We squandered it. Exactly. We blew it. That leads us to our second, second chapter, the fall where sin results in the corruption of everything. When the first humans, Adam and Eve, chose sin over God, they, we, they and we collectively, we squandered his mercy. And when we did, all of humanity's hearts and souls at that point became stained by sin. And that is a stain that we cannot remove on our own. That is a stain that we can't remove, and it's also a stain that God will not tolerate. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's bad news, right? That's bad news. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death? I mean, that's how gnarly of an offense sin is against the God of all life, that the result is death. You see, most people don't like the idea that, that, that the Bible teaches that we are by nature sinful creatures, right? We tend to overlook our sin because we, we, we all, like every single one of us, we all know somebody who's like more sinful than we are, right? <laughs> At least in our minds, right? Like we all like to think well of ourselves because we all know someone who's worse than we are. But that just really reveals our shallow view of sin. You see, sin isn't so much about action, but it's about disposition. It's our soul's natural bent away from God that shows up in our pride, shows up in our selfishness, our independence from his ways, our lack of trust in Him, our lack of love for Him and for others. Sometimes our sin is obvious on the outside, but usually, most of the time, our sin and our most dangerous sins are the ones that are hidden on the inside. See, but the story of God's grace doesn't end there with that bad news, does it? It doesn't end with us left enslaved and condemned by our sin. The next chapter in the gospel story is redemption. Redemption. Redemption, that Jesus came down to save us. That's what we were just unpacked for several weeks over the Advent season, that God is with us. Emmanuel, Jesus is God with us. Jesus came down to save us. Bob Thune, a, he's, a, he's a pastor in our, in our church planting network. He's got this quote where he says, every good story, every good story has a hero. And the hero of the gospel story is Jesus. The hero of the gospel story is Jesus. The gospel story is the world's story, it's his story, his story. And the hero is Jesus. You see, we needed a savior. Because of the fall, because of the corruption of all things, we needed a Savior, a Redeemer, a Deliverer, a Messiah, someone who would right every wrong and make all things new, including our sin-stained hearts. The grace that we needed came down to us in Jesus Christ. God didn't leave his children in the dark. He didn't leave his created world in its broken state. He sent his son to bring light and to fix what was broken. Jesus entered into our world so that the broken world would be restored and so that lost sinners like you and me could be found. That is the pinnacle of the gospel story. The good news that Jesus lived, died, and rose for sinners like you and me. God provided what we could not, salvation. And in his grace, Jesus paid the penalty for sin so that all who trust in him can now be reconciled with God and restored to the good life that God intended for us in the beginning. I want you to read uh, a few verses in Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians chapter 2, the first several verses are really, really a truncated uh, sort of statement on the gospel and how it applies to us as individuals. Read Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1 with me. Paul is also writing this letter, and he says to the church in Ephesus, he says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of laugh like the rest of mankind. And so right there, Paul's saying, look, you were dead. You were dead in your sins. You were enslaved by evil and by sin and by death. Look at the good news beginning in verse 4. What does it say? It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That is good news, right? I mean, you read those first few verses, and you're like, that's bad news, right? That's daunting. That's scary. We're enslaved by evil, sin, and death. And then verse 4 comes in, and those two words are just like a bomb to our soul. Those two words in verse 4, but God. Those might be the most comforting words in two words in all the Bible. They tell us that our only hope is in the God of amazing grace. It tells us that we were dead in our sins, but God made us alive in Jesus. We were totally helpless. We had no spiritual life at all, but God, when He looked at your darkened and decayed heart, Jesus said, I want this royal mess to be made alive. I'm going to die for it. That's how we got saved. You see, you were helpless. You were without hope. And then in his grace, Jesus came. Jesus came. He stepped in. He took initiative. He quickened our souls. He lived. He died. He was buried for you. And he rose from the grave in triumphant victory over evil, sin, and death also for you, so that by grace and through faith, he says in Ephesians, you could be made alive and free and whole again forever. That's the good news. That's the good news of God's redemption in Christ Jesus. And that leads us into the last and final chapter of the gospel story, which is restoration. Restoration, where we see that God is making all things new. You see, the grace of God doesn't just stop at redemption. I mean, even if it did, that would still be good news, right? But the, the grace of God doesn't just stop at redemption. We're not just saved from sin in the past, but we're saved to a new life of righteousness. His work in us. Right? We see this in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse, verse 10, just a few verses later, where it says, for we are his workmanship, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, the apostles, Paul's word for workmanship there is the Greek word poema, where we get our English word poem. So what that tells us is that what God has in mind for us, and the salvation that he's working into our souls is, is a masterful, creative, and beautiful, expressive work of who he is. You see, your, your poem, God's creative work of making you new, contains all the dramatic sort of joys and tragedies, challenges and triumphs that make your existence more real and just epic than we could ever comprehend. And the fact that that Ephesians 10 2:10 says that we are his workmanship his poema his 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 workmanship that 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 means that in Jesus you're not just made clean and forgiven of your past which again is still good news but God is continuing to be at work in you you're being made new you're not just no longer broken, you're being restored, you're being made new, you're being loved and accepted and celebrated, you're being adopted into a new family, the church with brothers and sisters and a father who's perfect, and you have a new future with him, a new future with you reconciled with God, with your creator. You see, being his workmanship, his, his, his poema means that, that God is at, constantly at work in us. He's constantly growing us in our confidence, uh, not in what we do, but in what Jesus has done. He's constantly growing us in intimacy with him through Jesus in the day to day. Ask yourself, are these things that mark my life as a follower of Jesus? Am I growing in my confidence, not just in what I do, but what Jesus has done? Am I growing in intimacy with God through Jesus? You see, the work of restoration in our lives means that there's a spiritual transformation that's happening in us because of the gospel, right? Every day, the gospel is not just what gets you into the church, but every day there's a spiritual transformation happening in your life because of the gospel, because we are his workmanship where we continue to hate our sin and we desire more of Jesus. We rely on God's truth, on his word to change us. It means knowing others and being known in authentic Christian community that's increasingly marked by humility and by service and by showing honor to others. Being his workmanship reminds us that we're given gifts and a purpose in the church. And we're sent into the world to be ambassadors of hope and grace to a world who needs it. You see, God isn't just making us new creations in Jesus. But through us and through this gospel, he's making all things new. God has promised to renew not just our sin-stained hearts, but the whole world. You see, one day Jesus will return to judge all evil and sin and to put death to death. But he's also going to usher in righteousness and peace and his unfiltered glory for all eternity. You see, that is the gospel story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We need to be reminded of that story. We never move on from it. We need to constantly return to it. By the way, everyone has their own version of the gospel story, right? Doesn't matter the religion, doesn't matter the worldview, even the most atheistic, secularist worldview has a gospel story. Everyone has a story of creation where they're they're asking, they're answering the question, who should I be? Who should I be? What is the purpose of this all? Everyone's asking a question related to the fall where they answer, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with the world? Everyone has a narrative for, uh, for, for redemption on what's the solution. And everyone has to wrestle with the idea of restoration. Like, what, what is it that I hope for? You see, everyone has their own version of the gospel story but only the one that we find in the scriptures, the, ones that's, the one that's, that is centered on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is, is the true gospel and is real good news, hard news, historic news, something that has actually happened in history and is unfolding before our eyes throughout history as the creator is redeeming us from the effects of the fall and restoring a people to himself and his creation. So now we close with the question, what does it mean now for us to be centered on this gospel? And we talked about this a little bit. I mean, it basically means that we constantly return to this gospel, right? We never move on to it. The story of God's grace, creation, fall, redemption, restoration is the power of God for salvation. Not just salvation to get us into the church, but salvation even for everyone who believes, for everyone who's a believer today. It's still the power of God for you today. We see this in Romans 1.16, which says, Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God for salvation. To who? To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here's what that means. Paul is saying, look, this gospel is not just important to you when you begin your Christian life. It's the center of the Christian life. It's the power of God for those who believe. How many of you who are followers of Jesus want the power of God at work in your life? How many of us want that, pray for that, desire that? Paul says the gospel is that power. We never move on from it. We never move on from it, right? It's it's always the battery that needs to be charged. This story of God's grace unfolding needs to be more than just information in our heads, but it needs to be a passion in our hearts. And it needs to be power, Paul calls it, in our lives. The gospel needs to be the center of who we are as followers of Jesus. So what about you this morning? What about you this morning? Have you this morning, you, are, did you consider yourself somebody who has tasted the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you somebody who, who has tasted the gospel? Are you somebody who believes in that gospel? If you are, do you consider that the power of God in your life? Do you consider it God's power at work in your life? It needs to be the center of who we are. Has it grabbed you? Has it transformed you and wrecked you? We never graduate or move on from the gospel. We never move beyond marveling at God's grace. In fact, a big part of, uh, of being gospel-centered is that you are constantly growing in the depths of the gospel story. You're constantly growing deeper into the idea that that God is good, that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus and that God is making you new. You see, growing in the gospel is vital vital to better knowing and loving God. When When we miss this, when we miss being centered on the gospel, then our worship becomes shallow. Our community becomes superficial our mission becomes vain. You see, in the book of Romans, Paul spends, uh, I mentioned this earlier, he spends the first 11 chapters of Romans unpacking the different facets of the gospel. Like 11 whole chapters just talking about the different uh, facets and, and ways that we, in the depths of the gospel. And at the end of that chapter, at the end of Romans 11, he he, he, writes, he writes these words uh, in Romans eleven thirty three. 33. I want you to almost like hear him shouting this. He just went on about the gospel for 11 chapters. And then at the ends of Romans 11, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. When he says, oh, you just kind of get this sense that he's just overwhelmed with the gospel that he just wrote about. And he says, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are God's ways. What is he saying? You see, he's marveling here at the bigness of the gospel. He's plunging the depths of the gospel. The deeper he gets into the gospel, the clearer and bigger God's glory and grace becomes. You see, growing in the gospel isn't about gathering more information in your head. It's about just applying that to your heart. Like some of us like how the gospel says that we get forgiveness for our sins and our ticket to heaven paid. But we don't really quite know how that really fleshes out in our day-to-day lives, right? Like in our work and in our relationships and, and, and in, our, in our homes, we're happy to have the gospel as our door into the kingdom, but then we check it at the door, and we live as though it no longer bears weight on us. Read what the Apostle John says in, in, in John chapter 1, verse 16. He says, for from his, this is talking about Jesus, for from Christ's fullness we have all received, what? Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace grace. This grace never ends. This is grace upon grace. It's grace that is unsearchable, grace without limits, without boundaries, without margins. We constantly grow as followers of Jesus and our view of God's grace. During our launch team trainings, we, we, we looked at this chart. Uh, I, I've got it up on the screen here. Uh, this, this chart, and you may, you may have seen this. Uh, uh, it's, it's called the cross chart, right? And, and then on the left side of the chart, you, you, you've got time, like your life before Jesus. And then that's sort of the, the Y there is a point of conversion, right? And at the point of conversion, for the rest of your life, two things start happening, according to the scriptures. Two things start happening. One is you start growing in your awareness of God's holiness. The more that you learn about God, the more that you search the scriptures, the more that the power of God is at work in your life, the more increased your view of God's holiness becomes. The other thing that happens is you start to have a growing awareness of how awful your sin is. You start to have a growing awareness of, uh, of really the depths of your sin and your flesh. You see, as we grow deeper in the gospel, grace upon grace, John calls it, then what we have is a greater understanding of our sin and also a greater understanding of God's holiness, which leads to... A greater and greater view of the cross over time, a greater appreciation and love for Jesus, his life, his sacrifice, his righteousness, his amazing grace. You see, when we're not growing deep in the gospel, when we're not growing deep in the gospel, then it's because we either have the minimized view of God's holiness and we think that he's kind of less than the scriptures reveal about him, or we think too much of our own righteousness. We think we're better than we are. In both of those cases, the cross becomes smaller and the grace of Jesus less amazing. You see, when we search the scriptures, though, we see that God calls us to be a gospel-centered church. That means if you're a follower of Jesus at King's Cross Church, that, that, that our prayer is that you would grow in the depths of the gospel. That is our prayer for one another, that as we continue to grow in Christian maturity, that our view of how God's holiness would increase, that we begin to hate our sin more and more because we see how, how nasty and dirty it is. But with that, the grace of God becomes more Amazing. And that's why we go deep into the gospel. That's why we're seeking to be centered on the gospel. You see, being gospel-centered is not, a me- is not so much a mental exercise as it is a posture of our hearts to see more of Jesus and more of life for the joy of our souls. That's why we can sing the famous words in, in that old hymn, Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, speaking of eternity, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we've first begun. Maybe this morning you find you came in here as somebody who does believe in the gospel, you hear just the story of the gospel unpacked and you're like, Yes, this is the gospel that changed my life, right? This is the gospel that changed my life. But but maybe you're you're in that place this morning and, and you, you 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 believe in the gospel, but you, you haven't really experienced its power. It's not central in your life today. And if and if that's you, then uh You know, we would just say, we're glad that that you're, you're honest to admit that. The Spirit of God wants to woo you back to your first love. Your first love by plunging you into the depths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're already passionate about the grace of God. It stirs you. You're excited about it, right? Like you feel like your life is centered on the gospel. You're passionate about it. You're growing right now in your view of God's holiness. You're also growing in your hatred for your own sin. And if that's you, if the gospel stirs you, then then, then celebrate that. Share that. Live it out. Be humble enough also to yearn for more of that. But for all of us, let's commit to carrying on in our lives with a humble posture and a heart ready to either receive the gospel for the first time, that might be you this morning, or to remember the gospel, the good news of God's grace, that Jesus is our greatest hope and he should always be our loudest boast. The gospel of Jesus Christ At King's Cross Church is the banner that we will always wave. It is the message that we will always proclaim. It is the song that we'll always sing. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.